Welcome to another episode of Sideways, A Life of Wine. As you'd expect on a podcast where we discuss wine, movies, book publishing, all sorts of things, there will be some swearing, there will be some cussing, which means we're obviously having discussions which contain adult themes. Hi everyone, hi Yui, welcome to The Life of Wine. My name is Rex Pickett and I'm the author of Sideways and two sequels, Vertical and Sideways 3 Chile. I have a brand new novel out titled The Archivist. We're going to be talking about wine and literature and cinema and culture, art, or anything that just uh, we digress into. We're going to just let it all hang out on this podcast and we're going to bare our souls, aren't we, Yui? We sure are, Rex. Hi, I'm Yusuf. I'm known as Yui. And I'm going to be the person who is going to interview Rex and extract as much information as we can out of his head about wine. I'm a fanboy and uh, I've been a fan of Sideways the movie and the books for years. So it's a pleasure for me to uh, work with Rex on this uh, podcast. Good morning, Rex. How are you? It's the afternoon here, Yui. I heard you're having some raw, rainy weather. We're moving into our summer. It is gorgeous here in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing what 23-degree tilt in the earth can do because uh, it's just getting a little bit colder and a little bit damper here. So, uh, well, You know what? I, I look forward to that. Uh, we'll have another conversation about New Zealand, of course, but uh, you know, I grew up in sunshine and to me, the idea of, of rain and weather and clouds. You know why the greatest writers, in my opinion, some of the greatest writers come from Ireland? It's the weather. Yeah. And England. Yeah. And it's dra- the weather yeah. is dramatic. Yeah. The skies right. are... Dra- down here, San Diego doesn't produce many writers. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know you're not convincing anyone. You know that there's uh, um, <laughs> probably 90% of this audience uh, would swap... The weather well, but you know, day. I know, but Australia produces, uh, and, and New Zealand too, but Australia's produced a lot of great writers. But I, I'm being a little bit facetious, but I do believe that you are annealed in the cauldron of your, uh, of your weather, and we don't have weather here at all. It's, 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 sun, it's sunny all the time, and then in the yeah. winter it's a little bit colder, but it's sunny, and the summer it's a little bit warmer, but it's sunny, and that's it. Oh, okay. And it doesn't, it's not conducive for producing uh, artists. And now, what did you say about kneeled in the cauldron? What, what, yeah, well, writers are kneeled in the cauldron of weather. Kneeled, like you mean K-N-E-E-L-E-D? No, no, no. no A-N-N-E-A-L-E-D. Annealed. Molded. A-N-N-E-A-L-E-D. That's our word of the day. We've right. barely started. We've barely <laughs> started. Okay. All right. Hey, look, um, this is um, episode... Look, overall, we've done um, 27 episodes with this one, but this is actually episode 19 or the 20th in our standard podcasts, okay? So this is excluding news flashes, excluding bonuses. And uh, I hear hear we're growing listeners, and so, you know, we started this as a lark, you, just kind of a... Almost like you a might one- have. well, no, <laughs> okay. And so, as a, I thought Speak it was, gonna, I thought it was a one-off. <laughs> we we're just going to have a newsflash or something, no. and then it's turned into a a, no, one, a, a wonderful con- a wonderful conversation, <laughs> shall we say? No, I agree. I agree. No, this is I see this more as a desperate attempt at being um, not forgotten for longer than eight minutes after I die. So this is just one of those pathetic attempts at uh, at, uh, immortality on my part. You'll be remembered forever. Anyway, only joking. Only joking. Hey. You'll be remembered for being a sidekick to my immortality. Sidekick. I have always wanted to be sidekick. (laughs) The the Pancho Sanza. Yeah, I never, I never thought of myself. I never thought of myself as Abbott. But anyway, <laughs> right. Um, okay, the straight man to your Costello. Hey, um, I want to remind people that we have just released. Um, well, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I suppose we could say now by the time this comes out, um, those five episodes, which are the audio commentary of. Um, sideways i know they took it out of you but they were they were good fun i think you were in good form yeah i hadn't seen the movie in five or six years or maybe even longer and so to take that kind of you know deep 
you know, I hate to use the word deep dive because I mean, it's a corny phrase, but to take that deep look and, and analyze it with the, um, you know, more objectivity of time. Um, I, I don't, I was, it was interesting to see how much, how, how well the film really held up in many ways. And, uh, and also we had two different perspectives on it in some instances. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I saw it as a fan and you saw it as an author who, who saw his work being adapted to the screen. So right. I think it was good. It was good to have those perspectives. Now, I then cheekily suggested to you um, earlier today that maybe we should do another audio commentary of of your favourite movie. And it turns out that your favourite movie is one of my favourite movies, and that's With Nail and I. So, um, so listeners, um, we have a little um, announcement to make, and that is um, Rex and I are going to, in the next few weeks, uh, record an audio commentary of one of, of Rex's favourite movie and one of my favourite movies. Um, I don't know if an audio commentary of The Party, my favourite movie with Peter Sells in it, would be of any value, but certainly With Nail and I is. Well, so. we don't, we don't, we, you know, we don't want to, we're, I'm a fanboy of With Nail and I. We don't want to get academic. I mean, obviously we could do a, an audio commentary of uh, Sunset Boulevard, which is one of my favourite films, or Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, but that would get more scholarly. I think With Nail and I is a film that, um, you know, obviously it's well known in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, but not so much in the United States. And it is, you know, it was electrifying when I saw it in 87 with five people in the theater on opening night, which blew me away. And it was also, and the other reason too, is I really think it um, was an inspiration for Sideways in some ways. You know, it, it kind of freed me up to think that I could take characters kind of over the edge, and that's going to go into a podcast we're going to do. But I, I feel, I feel to me like, um, you know, that it, it's just, it was, it was, I mean, actually I use the epigraph to my novel Sideways is a line from Richard E. Grant, whose performance is just astonishing, uh, which is, he's talking to this farmer in the rain and he's drunk and they're out in this cabin. He goes, farmer, farmer, we've gone on holiday by mistake. <laughs> that's the, wow. epi that's the epigraph to Sideways. Who, whoever uses a quote from a movie as an epigraph, usually it's someone, you know, Shakespeare or whoever. No. And I just I just thought that was one of the funniest lines I've ever heard. But there are so many funny lines. But there, the film has heart and soul and great performances. I, I look forward to this commentary of, of With Nail and I. And, and for those who haven't seen it, they'll get to discover um, a film that, um, you know, really was a great inspiration to me. That's amazing. That means you, there are two British references now to the movie Sideways. There's this one, which you just shared with us, with Nail and I epigraph, but also the the word Sideways is British for drunk. So that's yeah. two, um, yeah. two uh, excellent. Oh, uh, you, you're more and more becoming like one of us. We we see you now as an ang potentially an Anglophile. Who knows? Um, who knows? Yeah. Well, we still have this problem with the monarchy, so that's. I can't. No, 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 no. You have a problem with the monarchy. Oh, you're saying. And, um, and 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 when I and I heard people during the during the reign of Trump, um, actually saying, um, could if we apologised hard enough and long enough to the British, would they make the Queen our head of state? So you know, you um, you have a problem with the okay. monarchy. No you're saying else. you're saying I'm going to have an apostasy and I'm going to embrace the monarchy, which of course we Americans see essentially as a tourist attraction. Well, okay. Right. We're not going. We're not going there. <laughs> we don't want to alienate. We don't want to alienate our uh, South Pacific audience, who are members no, no, of the, uh, members of the Commonwealth, right? Yes, but there's a lot of people who actually support you. I have to say, and okay. um, but and so I don't want to end up in another situation where once again I'm a minority on another and, and topic. Also, and also something else too, and we'll get on with our. So we've had our news flash. We're trying to steer clear of politics in our podcast, right? True. We're, yeah, ta we're talking sideways. We're talking wine. You know, yeah. we're talking. Escape. This is about an escape. An it, escape it is an escape stuff. into. Yeah. We, this is not uh, a. Play, this is not NPR's fresh air. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know what you're talking about, but anyway, I okay. believe you. Yeah. Now, um, finally, I want to remind listeners that they can ask questions, even if you wanted to ask questions on politics. I suppose it wouldn't hurt, would it, Rex? If people no, wanted to write, no, I'm, us. I'm no. happy to wax That's on. Fine. Uh, you yeah. Know. Yeah. Okay. So write questions about the monarchy to me and why the monarchy is so great and write questions <laughs> to Rex about why the monarchy is not so great and uh, we'll have a battle one of these days. Great. Okay. okay. Uh, well, so well, you, it will be a battle royale. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, now, ask. Uh, yeah, so what, what we'd like you to do is to write uh, questions to us. Um, and to do that, you just write to wine at 
158.co.nz. That's wine at 158.co.nz. 158 just being the digits, the numbers. All right. Look, um, twice now um, in our regular podcast and in our bonus, you have mentioned the four phases of drinking. And I thought today we should talk about the four phases of drinking as you know them and as you describe them. Um, and um, I don't have much more to say to you other than I know that when I have drunk and got drunk, which is rare these days, but when I have drunk and got drunk, I um, I think I know what you mean. There are different phases. Um, and the fourth one, I don't know, I don't want to steal your thunder, but the fourth one usually is I can't remember. Um, so let's, um, let's hand it straight over to you, Rex. So why do you know about the four phases of drinking and what relevance does it have to you and what you do? Well, I mean, in the nineties, I was going to wine tastings and, and, um, in my neighborhood in Santa Monica and it's the opening chapter of the novel. They didn't use it in the movie. And, um, I met a lot of people in the wine world from, uh, you know, the people on the floor, you know, the salespeople to distributors, to winemakers, and whatever, and they all, they all pretty much drink every day. Let's be honest in the wine world, except oddly enough in Italy, but that's another podcast. And um, you know, and when you're going off on one of these trips, there's a, I call it, you know, I call it the four phases of drinking, and um, and when I, and the reason why this is important is, is that in the novel, I think it informs behavior. I think it, it changes character. And when we did the play, I would talk to the actors about the four phases because I wanted them to understand. I didn't want them to go there but because uh, I wanted them to remember their lines. But I, I needed <laughs> for them to understand it so they understood the behavior in the four phases. And, um, and you know, for, for those of those, you know, people who just have one or two glasses of wine a night and that's it and shut it down, this will be hopefully, you know, illuminating. For those who uh, are in the wine world and they know about the half bottle to one bottle to three bottles, they will understand uh, what I'm talking about. But the reason I wanted to do this is because I think that it really goes to understanding the movie sideways, which is what our fan base is here. Uh, it'll help you understand better. And we need, and I need to reference the novel as much as the movie because there is one scene in the novel, it's in the play, where we go to the fourth phase. Alexander in sideways doesn't go to the fourth phase. He gets close. He gets close, but he doesn't go to the fourth phase. So, <clears throat> wow, that's interesting. So, well, I, I yeah, my ears have definitely pricked up now, Rick. Yeah, he, um, he so just got he, he, he just close. he just got to he just got to the third phase. So, <clears throat> these these two guys are you know they're on a um, you know a week long wine slog, let's call it, and. Um, you know, they, I mean, let, let's start with the movie here. And, um, I mean, we could also start with the book, too. But in the movie, you know, they go to visit mom and they drink a fair amount. And maybe they get into the second phase. And I'll, I'll, I'll you know, differentiate the phases in a minute. Oh, fantastic. But the next morning, what do they do? Do they check into their hotel? No. They go to a tasting room first. Because the first phase is you're hungover. You're feeling irritable. You're a little irascible. And, you know, you're a little bit itching for a little bit of, some people call it the liquid courage, you know. Uh, I call it sandpapering the edges. So phase one is you, you need a libation. You need to sandpaper the edges. And... Um, so let, let me clarify that. So phase one is you're hungover. Or you're, or you need a libation. Is yeah, it either one of those two. Yeah, so, yeah. well, they're both. You're hungover, yeah. and so there are a lot of people. They're hungover. They've had a, a night where they've drank too much. They maybe don't want to see wine or liquor for a week or a month or whatever, and they're just going to take aspirin and put an ice bag on their head. But not people in the wine world. They call it the continuum. Continuum. You continue it. You don't. You don't stop there and white knuckle it till five. Because you're in the wine world. You know, it's okay to drink at 10 in the morning, Yui. Yep, because it's your job. It's your job. Well, yeah, there's, there's people <laughs> who say, there's people who say that you went to the wine country to get into the wine business because 
you had, let's call it, a dependency. Or you went to the wine world because you wanted to make wine and you developed a dependency. It's either or, but they all, and there are a lot of people who maintain. But let me me put this in context. The greatest wine critic in the world, and people can argue this or whatever, but somebody who's been voted by Wine Spectator in their 100 most influential either people or entities in wine every year, this guy was number one, and that's Robert Parker, the wine critic of The Advocate. On Charlie Rose, one of our you know public uh, station shows, and he, he's now out, bounced out for you know Me Too problems, but we won't get into that. He had Robert Parker on. Probably pro- related to alcohol. And probably was, and was, you know, it definitely was, Uh, Anyway, anyway, so it was like 20 years ago, and there's Robert Parker on there, and he's, this guy is famous, and everyone in the wine world is listening to this knows who he is. Asked him, how much do you drink a day? And Robert Parker said, unapologetically and unhesitatingly, two bottles every day. Wow. But people in the wine world know it's more like three. Two to three bottles every day. And you know what? I'm not judgmental. You know, he's he's limousined everywhere he goes. He oh, he cool. ti- he titrates it, so he doesn't just start. He doesn't go hardcore. He titrates it. So and he actually lives in Virginia or Maryland. I'm sorry, he lives in Maryland. He does. He probably has a home in Napa. He also is has a winery in Oregon, but uh, he goes into his laboratory at ten in the morning. Well, what do you think he's doing in the laboratory? He's sandpapering the edges because you, if he doesn't get that special roan, you know, in him and get a little bit of juice in him, he's going to start twitching. He's, you know, he's, I'm, you know, I'm disappointed. And I, don't, I, and, and was... I don't want to say, I want to say very quickly here to all my listeners, I do not like the word alcoholic. I think it is judgmental and I think it's stigmatizing. Robert Parker just sold the wine advocate for $25 million. He's never hurt anybody. He's a controversial critic. He, and, and he drinks two to three bottles of wine every day and has for the last 30 years. I can't judge that man. A lot of people will, I'm not saying that is the via regia to success, I'm just saying that that's that's an, that's the method the method to his madness. So yeah, there's yeah. so phase one is hungover, edgy, irascible, you're growling, whatever. And in the novel, there's I think there's a great scene where Miles and Jack, after that opening night at the hitching post where they drink too much and then they don't go out dancing or whatever, they wake up in the morning and I think I'm writing in first person. I'm saying. We walked over to Ellen's Danish, which they didn't use in the movie. We walked into Ellen's Danish as if moving hip deep through swampy water. And that's how you feel when you're hungover. Every step is painful, okay? But, okay, phase two. We get to a tasting room. We get a few tastes in us. We're feeling a little better. We're animated. We're, 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 we're coming to life. This is phase yeah. two. And I phase two, I take phase two, and I'm talking about wine now, I'm not talking about distillates or beer, that's a, a totally another story. Phase two is, for me, the first taste to about a half bottle. 12 ounces. Wow. Yeah, to about a half bottle. That's, that's phase two, where you're just sandpapering the edges, smoothing things out. The glow is coming back to your face the rosy cheeks, the Rubicon look. And I don't mean crossing the Rubicon, I mean the Rubicon look, whatever. And and you're feeling better. Well, well, hang on, hang on a second. What does Rubicon look mean if it's got kind nothing to do with the river? Reddish. Well, the Rubicon, oh, of course, it, uh, you know, to cross the Rubicon was the famous thing. Yeah, in yeah, Rome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, but Rubicon, R-O-U-B-I-C-U-N-D, maybe our second word of the day, is you know flushed oh, rosy so it's yeah. rubicon with a d on it yeah right i mispronounced it a, i'm sorry that i'm sorry that's okay that's all right okay but we're on vacation now okay now there's and this is what i tell people so you're as a as an actor when you're in that moment you need to be coming to life a little bit you're not so edgy and querulous you know what i mean yeah you're yeah. you're kind of you're kind of you're you know you're cracking jokes you're, you know, you're slapping each other on the back. You're little, and that's where that word comes from, slap happy. You've put, you've put the, um, the dull, sort of mundane work 
routine behind you now and right. you're in that sort of zone now. Well, and yeah. also also when you're, you know, you wake up, you've had a, a long night of drinking or whatever and you're hungover, you know, suddenly all your problems and your bills and family things and everything else, they just sort of hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. But as you get into phase two, you know what? Those things kind of evanesce. Hmm. They just kind of evaporate with the wine, with this wonderful libation. Okay. Evanesce. Here we go. What is it? E-V-A-N-E-S-C-E. Yeah, Evanesce. Okay, I think you've talked about that before. So essentially, in the movie, that's after they've woken up at his mother's place, this is what you're saying, and they've gone and they've parked the car and whatever, or the motel, they've gone straight... No, they haven't gone to the motel. They've gone straight to a place and they've started tasting. Right. They're now in that phase too. That's what you're that's saying. Right. They've, put, right. they've, put, they've put the mother stuff behind them. That's right. Visiting, visiting Miles' well, mother. Well, you know, I mean, they, now, did have, they have, did have breakfast the next morning and Jack yeah. is saying, you know... You know, he's Miles, laying it on the line. He's saying, yeah, we he's, are he's, going he's, to have a good time. We're going to have a good time here. You know, so they are able to get through breakfast here, you know, without a, a rosé or something. Uh, although in the wine world, they might be having splitting a bottle of rosé at breakfast. Uh, let's let's <laughs> uh, let's be honest here. Uh, I don't want to name any names. <clears throat> but, you know, you can oh. see there's a little bit of irritability there, you know. Mm. But when they get to Sanford Winery and they get a few tastes in them, they're feeling better. Good on them. And so the jokes are coming, the rosy cheeks, the animation, the coming back to life, and, right. and so on. Yeah, and yeah. and, oh, and not good. only that, you know, the world is, um, you know, the colors are brighter. The sounds are louder. You know, Raymond Chandler, the great mystery writer, The Long Goodbye, he said when he got sober, he said the worst thing was is that, uh, and then he never did stay sober, but... He said, you know, I had to get used to, you know, duller, more monochromatic colors and lower voices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So then, then we go into phase, phase three. And phase three now, if we go to the movie, for those who, uh, who've listened to the commentary, I hope you've listened to it, there's the great dinner scene. It is so wonderfully directed by Alexander Payne and so incredibly edited by him and his editor, Kevin Tent. I mean, what they did with going back and forth in time. Remember we talked about that, you? Yeah, yeah. With the in yeah. and out of focus. We're now into yeah. phase three, okay? Yeah. Phase three is, I call it, go. so I said phase one is the irritable hungover sage. Yeah. Phase two is sandpapering the edges. Edges, yeah. Okay, phase three is called going up the ladder. Uh, yes. And I would tell the I would tell the actors this. Okay, so now we're on a half a bottle. We've showered. We're heading out to where there's not just one ounce pours, which are of so, course, um, yep. you know, abhorrent to Miles, who, as we know well, know when he needs more than a one ounce pour, he goes for the full bottle. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> he, he he cuts to the chase. So now now it's time to really have fun, and and you you've loosened up. You've done some wine tasting, and now we're between a half a bottle, and now we're moving to two bottles, going up the ladder. And now, really, the the it's, con it's a, yeah it it the con you're not the, for the people who who have a tolerance for drinking as they do in the wine world. They're not slurring, they're maintaining. They are they're louder. They're talking louder. They're much more animated. They are, well, they're hugging each other. There's a lot more, uh, there's a kind of a palpability to it in a way. They're now feeling larger than life. Anything is possible. And, 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 and bring me some more wine and let's try this. And they're excited, they're excited about life. They're excited yeah. about everything. Because now what they've done is they have somehow, um, they've transited to an alternate universe they're moving well in. well we'll use your use your comment going up the ladder and they're starting to feel giddy yeah aren't they? that's right yeah. and you said they're transcending to another thing so they're just going up and up and up as Tra a, transiting just, transiting yeah. to an alternate world and it, it is all being of course fueled by the wine and um and and they may be moving from place to place you know hopefully uh you know with a designated driver let's let's be honest and um 
and now we get to, and, and that's where, you know, in the, in the movie, in the restaurant scene, that's where things happen. You know, you can, um, you know, a woman can overlook a man's deficiencies. A man can overlook the things that he might not like in a woman when he's sober. We, we can, uh, you know, we can shroud these things because we are, we're having fun. We're happy. We've, we've dropped our inhibitions about yep. everything in life. We have moved up the ladder. And yes, we may kind of pay a price for it. That's possible. All I can say, mate, is as a guy who has many deficiencies, I'm very grateful to alcohol. It's allowed, it's allowed my def- deficiencies to evaporate in my fellow drinkers' eyes. Well, you know, they're, and giving me a chance, you know. I, you know, so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play to the Commonwealth here. The great science fiction writer, J.G. Boward, he had three kids, and his wife died when one of his kids was three years old. And he took care of them. And he's a great, a, a great writer. He's, you know, passed away now. And he would get his kids off to school, and then he drank a thimbleful of brandy every hour as he wrote. So he, he attributes his success to that. And then he would kind of sober up, go get his kids and whatever. Then he'd go back to the brandy in the evening and have ideas. Patricia Highsmith, I'm listening to her diaries right now, the great writer of Strangers on a Train and the Ripley series, whatever, the talented Mr. Ripley. She, oh, yeah. Yeah, she was, uh, she drank a lot all the way to the end of her life. And, and, you know, you couldn't pay a health price, but, you know, if that's what they needed to do, I'm, again, I'm not judgmental about this. I'm just mm. talking about the four phases of drinking. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, let's cool. call it, maybe we should, you can call it the four phases of drinking, or you can call this episode the continuum. No, because, I'll stick with the four phases of drinking. Okay. Um, so, a, so we, know, I think we've, branding we've pretty perspective. much, I think we've uh, delineated phase three, the going up the ladder, feeling yeah. larger than so life. So we, uh, and, yeah, you know, larger than life, yeah, we excited every, about life. Everything is possible. Yeah. Love is yeah. in the air. I mean, oh, that's ha- a great happy, song. Yeah, love is in the air. Happiness is, is in the air. Everything is, is, is just, it's just everything's just sort of wonderful. And again, these, these are people who have, you know, they know, we say, we know how to maintain. I don't know what, what you Kiwis say. Do you have a, a saying, you know, they know how to hold their mug? They hold their liquor. Hold their hold liquor. Okay, well, we say, you, you know. Hey, but, but, but it strikes me that if there was some way that some people could stay in phase three, the art would be how do you stay in phase three? Well, you know What's what? What's the right level of drinking what? to okay. remain in phase three? That's right. I, I think Robert Parker knew how to do that. And right, what, he, what right. he would start doing later in the evening, he'd go to a wine tasting you, and he might be tasting 150 wines, but he's not wow. sipping and spitting every one of those. And I know people, I've never met him, but I know people have been to him at wine tastings, and he's, he's swallowing. So that's, think of that, it's 150 wow. ounces, that's six bottles, but maybe not swallowing all of them or whatever. These are high-end wines. But he also knows how to kind of balance it with water to dilute it you know, in a system and, and whatever. I don't think... I don't doubt that he's gone to phase four and we'll get there in a second. Then there are those who don't know how to stop. Hang on a second. Before you go to those who don't know how to stop, are you suggesting that maybe the the tactic of one glass of water, one glass of wine might keep you in phase three? Yeah, I knew a doctor who could go from phase three to phase four, but he told me that while he was still in phase three. Rex, drink a glass oh. of water with every gla- at, at the wine tasting at Epicurus that opens my novel. Drink a glass of water with every glass of wine and you'll be fine. I said, yeah, but when I'm drinking, I don't want to be diluting it with water. He goes, well, you know. So then we got right. into that conversation. Right, right, know. right. Okay, anyway, sorry. So for those who, who can't stop, you said. But that that's definitely because you're diluting it in your system. Also remember, too, is that women... Um, be- Actually, not because they have less body weight than men, um, for generally speaking, whatever, but they also have less um, volume of blood per body weight than men. And therefore, alcohol affects them more. You know, we've always heard, I don't want to get into anything cultural here, you know, the two glasses of champagne and they're, you know, dancing naked on the top of the hotel, but they have, <laughs> le- hotel. They have less, they have less, um, volume of blood in their body per their body weight than men do men actually have more blood in their body and so we we can actually um hold our liquor better than women and generally speaking and it, and it, that's and that's physiological and yet and yet rex women are less violent than men 
Well, yeah, that gets in with that's, alcohol. That that's into mm. gets into something else, and that's absolutely true. And I don't want to get into that side because what I've seen in the wine world is I've seen, um, you know, drinking. People probably would some would call it excessive drinking or whatever. But I've never seen violence in the wine room. I, I honestly, I've heard voices raised and shouting mm. matches and and spirited conversations and your Pinot Noir sucks and your Syrah's got you know t too much tannin in it or whatever but i've i've never seen fisticuffs your, or whatever your wine smells of elderberry you know yeah, those sort or of whatever insults yes or it's uh, you know asparagus pee but uh, oh. <laughs> well that's what happens in phase 3 and that's the other i'm going to say this if I, I you know for those of you who haven't read my novel you know you, can, you know what you can do? You can go to Amazon and click the free sample and you'll get the opening chapter for free. And, oh. you know, not that I should be trying to sell my novel by telling you you can get the first chapter for free. And you'll understand that also in phase three, see in phase one, there's no humor. In okay. The, in, in, in the irritability hangover stage, there's no humor. You're, you're irritable. Phase two, humor is starting to come back as life is coming back. Phase cracking three, jokes, cracking yeah, jokes, he said. Yep. a little bit, but phase three is wow, is riotously funny, really, and yep. sometimes kind of nastily funny, as you know, as the Brits can be. You know, they can personalize their humor and get very mordant and whatever. But it, I, those tastings at, um, at, Epic, at Epicurus, where we would you've go, you've just lost, in, um, you've just lost your Anglophile credentials with that last swipe at the Brits. Well, I'm not, anyway, I'm not, ang on. I'm not Anglophile, and I don't, you know, obviously, some of my favorite authors are are Brits, and you know, whatever. No, no, so. no, you're fine. You carry on. And we're about to do a, a podcast on uh, with Neil and I. So anyway, That's correct. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but you would see in the uh, opening chapter at Epicurus in my novel that there is unbelievable humor in that chapter. You know, in the dialogue, the way. He, he, People put each other down, but but when you're in yeah. phase three, you can take it. You, you don't yeah, and, you, you don't take it personally, and it's funny yeah, to other people. And there's a lot of back and forth, right? Yeah, at that right, point. Yeah. What's yeah, that I mean, you, witty you, repartee? That sort of thing. Thank yeah. you. That's the word repartee. You know, or yeah. badinage. You know, and there's this wonderful badinage between the people. And and the thing is, is that because you're kind of you know, you're in that phase three and you're going up the ladder and, and you're kind of numb to certain things, you can kind of take it. It bounces off of you like Teflon, you know, for mm. the most part, unless it gets, you know, really nasty. But people in the wine world tend to be pretty civilized, if you want to know the truth. I mean, this isn't mm. like some pub in some dark corner of Dublin or something, you know, where there's going to end in fistfights. You know, we're talking about, you know, for the most part, civilized people. You know? Yeah, Temple Temple Gate, I think, is that famous area in Dublin, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah, I know. I, I just heard or there in, in, in Scotland, I guess, alcohol really erupts into fights a lot. You know. Well, I mean, it, it happens all around. The but I've never, I've never yeah. seen it in the wine world, and I've been at so many tastings mm. and whatever. I've seen people lit up like Roman candles, and <laughs> just never, I've never seen a fight. Although, interestingly, in that opening chapter of mine, it does degenerate into a brawl but it's more yeah. of a it's more of a sloppy wrestling match it's not like fisticuffs or knives you know whatever no. but i do know that that is there but you know this is um you know we're you know we're, we're not this is not a a podcast about you know i don't know social injustice or anything else so um we're, anyway so now i think have we pretty much delineated phase three the going okay. up the ladder feeling mm -hmm feeling really high about life and going and when I say going up the ladder you're going up the ladder but here's the thing somewhere in going up the ladder you're sitting in one of those you know chairs high up you know and there's a spring-loaded lever <laughs> and you pull the lever and now you're in free fall and you're going into I don't know somebody has thrown a baseball and hit a dong and it's you know released the spring-loaded chair and now that it, it um, it's like a trap door that falls out from underneath you and now yeah. we're in phase four yeah that's where the dizziness kicks in right the spinning room uh no 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 no, no. no. okay sorry no 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 no, no. now we're Too in soon. phase four this is blackout right and in the blackout phase you may not know what you're doing but you still may not be slurring you still may be reasonably aware 
but you're in a place now where you probably aren't going to remember this the next day. And, by the way, you're continuing to drink. And you're yeah. continuing to drink liberally. You, you know, no, there, there's no... Um, um, there's no end of your of, of satiety here. I mean, it's 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 pure insatiety. No end of your what? Satiety. Oh, satiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so in the movie, we get close to that place at the dinner scene when he goes and calls his wife, but somehow he he pulls out of it, whatever. And so it's kind of close there, but then it kind of you know then it goes to their house and they continue to drink more wine or whatever. So you you know, and I've had people say to me. Were they, weren't they wine tasting all day and then at that dinner didn't they kill like six or seven bottles and then they go over to you know stephanie uh, aka tara um her house and um, and drink even more wine you know it's like what do they do sober them and then <laughs> what's this happening over three nights i've had people say that but you know who's counting you know but <clears throat> but in the novel and it's also in my play based on my novel when Miles has reached a point of disgust with Jack and his affair, calling off the wedding and everything. You see, that's Jack's in the phase three of his affair with, you know, Tara. And um, and Miles is just wants to now self-destruct. He meets a guy at the clubhouse bar, which is this yeah. kind of down and out yeah. bar at the Windmill Inn, now that's called right. the Sideways Lounge, by the way, Yui. Yep. It's called the Sideways Lounge at the now Sideways Inn. And he meets a boar hunter, a young guy who is truly twisted. This guy is in the blackout phase. And you can tell by the glassy-eyed look and whatever. And he asks Miles, he tells Miles, but he ha they have a conversation. It's not like he's falling off his chair. He's holding his mug. Yep. You know, and he's saying, you want to come out with me? Boar hunting. Yep. And Miles is now right at that blackout stage. I'm going boar hunting. This is when you don't know what you're doing. This exactly. is when you're. You, exactly. This is when you're not in command of your faculties. You you are not making the um, most prudent decisions. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yep. Yep. And you may be you may be operating on 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 repressed emotions and yep. animal instincts about things. Okay, and so why would he go out in the middle of the night? with a boar hunter, this twisted guy with one of those caterpillar caps on, twisted 45 degrees to the end. This yeah. just looks like it's going to be bad. I've, I've seen this phase, Rex. I've seen I've seen uh, men uh, strip naked in public. I've seen women go topless. I've seen, um, and they think it's funny. They think it's okay. It's normal because um, they're in that phase four. You're describing yeah, it perfectly. Well, in, in this case, they go out with the boar hunter. And, of course, uh, <clears throat> Jack is not in phase four here. He's probably only in phase Phase two, maybe moving to phase three. Miles has moved to phase four. And for those of those who read the novel and for those um, of you out there listening who have a chance to see the play, you will see phase four because the boar hunt scene and they go out there and, I, I'm, you know, I'll give it up. I mean, they, they follow him out in the middle of the night to this kind of plateau out in a canyon-like area where there is wild boar. This is not made mm -hmm. up. And suddenly they hear gunshots. He starts firing at them. And now they are in a... And Miles is making fun of it in the scene. He's mm. he, he he's like completely seems impervious to, to the fact that, you know, yep. a guy's firing bullets at him. That's phase yep. four. And yet he's still in command of his faculties. He's, they still are able to, you know, wrestle this guy to the ground and apprehend him. They're able to, they still kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Jack yeah. isn't there, but Miles is clearly, that's the blackout phase. And I had to explain that to the actors. It, it's a place where you're still surprisingly somewhat lucid, shockingly, but lucid in that kind of blackout phase. Yeah, you know, wow. you, you think you're in command of your faculties, and then the next morning you wake up and you look over and you see a rifle and you go, how the hell did that get there? And then it starts to kind of come back to you. So that's phase four is the blackout phase. I highly recommend for those of you who, you know, want to, you know, uh, keep a good credit rating and, and not get in trouble with your family, you know, either avoid phase four or be with people who can shepherd yeah. you back 
Yeah, safe space. In other words, yeah, 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 yeah. Drink in a safe space. But I think that I think that in the in the movie, whatever, I'm not sitting there when I'm writing the book and saying, okay, they're in phase one, phase two. But I am aware of it, you know, um, because I've been in those places with people in the wine world, and I've gone through the four phases with them. And you know, you you had a night and. You ended up at some winemaker's house, and he's uncorking incredible bottles, and you just don't want to stop. You know, it, there's nothing yeah. stopping you at that point, and and that's I would say that sums up. I know people in California are going to hate me for this, but that seems that's my experience in in the wine world in California. But a lot yeah. of them, you know, they they um, you know they make the bell as we say in the morning. They get out there into their vineyard and you know white knuckle it through and then you know by 11 they're in the barrel room and they're sandpapering the edges it's right. the con- it's the continuum all over so you've again. just answered my question so how do we now get from phase four to phase one because the way i saw it was you described phase one as being potentially a hangover which means you've gone through the circle or you're just starting fresh so i guess well, phase, well one. Fa- phase one has gradations to it it's how far deep you went into phase four if you could have ended phase three, maybe phase one wouldn't be so bad. If you went deep into phase four, phase one could be hellish, could be an mm. infernal world. You need to get to phase two really quickly, you know, because yeah. as I've said, you know, if you wake with a problem, you know, and you try to solve your problem with what caused your problem, then you might have a problem. Yeah. So I know you don't like the word alcoholic. You said that earlier. But if... Um if we talked about somebody with a drinking problem, let's say a sustained drinking problem, let's right. call it that. Um, essentially, that person is going one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, yep. one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, and, two, three, and every, one, two, And everybody, three, I don't like alcohol because, like I said, it's stigmatizing and judgmental. Let's call it alcohol dependent because if, if Robert Parker, for example, were to just, as we say, cold turkey, just stop, whatever. And I, I don't doubt that he has times in his life where he, you know, he bottles back, you know, I mean, he literally just yeah, bottles yeah. back to one and he maybe finds a way and then, you know, he kind of tries to get himself together and then he goes back, goes back up into, you know, two or three, which is by his own admission is how much he drinks a day. Um, you know, it, everybody is different. And then some people, I've seen people in the wine world, they, they wait until four or five o'clock and they open a bottle and, you know, within one hour they've drunk two bottles. They just go really fast. They go hard and murderously. And then others titrate, most titrate through the day. And then if it's a weekend and they uh, don't have any... Titrate, titrate, titrate. Titrate, you know, as if, as if like you have an IV Instead drip. Instead of hydrate. No, oh, no, oh, yeah. no, like an IV drip and it's coming a drip at a time, a drip at a time, as, oh, opposed, to you're just, as opposed to just pounding it, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're okay. not just pounding yeah. it, but I've seen that. If you have nothing to do the next day, this is a Friday yeah. night, you're, you've got the weekend off. And then now you're into the continuum, and then the next day, you know, you wake up in a world of hurt. You're yeah, gonna go. Yeah. You're gonna go to phase two real quickly. So, so you don't like the term alcoholic. You prefer alcohol dependent. So, therefore, you don't like diabetic. You'd prefer sugar dependent. No, I don't care. That that's different. Okay, cool. Just, I've noticed there's Be, because some because one complaining about that. No, word. but there's a huge difference. Is you know alcohol or alcoholic or whatever is, you know, you you now potentially enter the criminal justice system, but not as a diabetic, you don't. Not yeah. only that, there it, I say it's stigmatizing because because yeah. you drink, I'm saying that you are a low life, you're a degenerate. We don't say that about diabetics. No, no. It's just that I read an article the other day where um, there's a movement now to stop calling people diabetics. It's seen as, um, as what was the word? It's reductionist. It's reducing people to... Um, yeah, because there's a disease and, and, and instead I, of saying I, and they're sugar heard, dependent. And I haven't yeah. heard that, Yui, but, you know, it's, um, and, you know, I don't want to get into all this new language stuff because it's just getting so complicated. You know, it's like oh, no. you, you have to self censor and you can't talk anymore. But the it's truth is, when it comes to alcohol, everybody is different. So it's not a one size fits all, which is the problem with, you know, Alcoholic Anonymous and others. They, they have a one-size-fits-all thing, and it isn't. Everybody yeah. is different. Their life is different. And again, I go back to Robert Parker. Here's a man who drinks two to three bottles of wine every day by his own admission, and he is unquestionably one of the most successful people in the history of wine. He's a multimillionaire, and as long as he doesn't hurt anybody, I don't have any problem. I don't have any labels for him, except he is a great wine critic. Whether you agree yeah. with him or not, 
He's a great wine critic. He's made his mark in wine forever. He's known as the nose. In fact, his nose is insured by Lloyd's of London for $2 million. And in fact, here's a, here's a little writing thing. Ten years ago, I was writing a show for HBO called The Nose. And he has, um, what's the word called? Um, oh, gosh. Anyway, it's, it's a word for losing your sense of smell. Of course, this has come up with COVID. And so oh. this would be the worst thing in the world for this man is yeah. he's, he's the greatest mm. wine critic in the world, but he's yeah. losing his sense of smell. He also, has, he also has a psychiatric service dog who can anticipate when he's having a panic attack and flies across the room and hits a button that calls 911. This was, the, sh this was the show I was writing for HBO, and it didn't Hang go right. Hang on, let me just have a look. No, it's not April the 1st, so that wasn't an April Fool's joke. No, it's a, it's a, it's a show I was writing. Wow, it's amazing. Hey, um, that reminds me. Who was the who was the pompous Englishman in the movie Sideways? Was he a wine person or just an actor? No, he's an the actor. Guy, he, he was a guy. Yeah, they, they, about they, they, wine. Yeah, yeah. They was that were, meant to be? Was that meant to be Parker? No, I think he he based it on this other guy named. Um, oh gosh, he, he's actually a, a a British wine critic, and and, and oh, the name okay. will come to me in a second. If you'd if you'd given me a heads up, Yui. I would have, I would have known, but uh, it'll. Oh, it'll, oh it, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it uh, but he kind of based, but it was such a small role or whatever. You know, he was kind of satirizing the pomposity of you know of those kind of critics or whatever. But in, yep. and and Robert Parker also has a certain kind of pomposity to him. We we actually could do a whole show on him and wine wine criticism. Um, that that might be. Well, let's do that. Problem. Why don't we yeah. add that to the list? Yeah, yeah wine, 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 uh, wine critics and uh, the subjectivity of wine and wine. Yeah, critics. and and while we're here, while we're here, Rolf Kent, if you're listening to this, we're um, we're going to try and get in touch with you because we'd love to. Um, Rex and I would love to interview you uh, for a podcast about the wonderful music soundtrack you made to the movie. Yeah, and beautiful. also um, also a not so well-known fact, and that is that you had to do it a couple of times. Uh, a couple of your soundtracks uh, weren't yeah, accepted by that's not, that's Alexander not, Payne. That's not uncommon. You know, they'll do a pass. Yep. And um, and then he says, well, this doesn't fit, you know, beautiful music, Rolf, but it just isn't what I was, because bear in mind, you got a guy who's imagining what the score is going to be, but he's not a musician. Yeah. And then the yeah. musician has to try to figure out what's in his head. And yeah. now it's like, try to give it to them what they it's want. Amazing. And amazing it, but, but you know what? You, you start to home in on, on it. And, and I guess around the third or fourth pass, he really, he really got the music that Alexander so, wanted. So he, he honed in on the final solution as he honed his skills or his understanding, you could yeah. say, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Hey, Rex, um, that was fantastic. The four phases of drinking. That's yeah. um, really good. I um, I used to be a regular four-phase guy. I think I'm now a three and then slow down. Once I touch three, I now head back with yeah. water. So I think, I um, don't know what that is. Well, Maybe you, that's just no, experience. I, I'll, t I'll tell you what it is. You have dopamine inhibitors. Dopamine? Oh, no, I don't. Not when it comes to food. Anyway, we won't go there. Okay. All right. Um, food, food doesn't release dopamine, but alcohol no. does. So you oh, have dopamine okay. inhibitors. As you're, as you're drinking, those dopamine inhibitors are saying to you neurochemically, slow down, Yui, slow down. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, have, you have, and we don't know what it is, but they are really true things. You have a family. You've got... You know, you've got businesses, you've got a, you know, you've got responsibilities, you know, yeah, then there's yeah, other people. My only responsibility is to my winery. I don't yeah. have dopamine, <laughs> not me, because I don't have a winery, no, no, but, no. but no. I don't have dopamine inhibitors. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take this as far as I want. Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's true. That could be true. Yeah. Yep. I, I just find that, um, that the damage that phase four creates the yeah. 24 hours of 36 hours, um, when it used to be easier when you were younger or or you thought it was easier yeah. that's the big thing isn't it now it's the, it's about well i think ahead. i think i think there's no question it is easier when you're younger yeah. on the other yeah. hand as you get older for these people who've been in the wine world they they've developed a dependence um on it and yeah the you know our organs are starting to pay a price and you know yeah. there's you know your liver shuts down and we don't need to get into all of that that no. stuff and as no. it as it shuts down then it has inflammation and that inflammation turns into scar tissue and all that other stuff no. but the truth of the matter is is to keep going you know unless you're just going to completely go sober and detox 
you need to go to phase two pretty quickly. Yeah, true. And I don't judge those people. That's how no. they want to live their life. One of the great winemakers in the San Inez Valley or sideways, and I want to, you know, kind of just a, a quick 10-second P and Tim is, um, you know, Jim Clendenin of Aubon Clément. And uh, he's in the book. He, he's not in the movie. And he, he, di- he died in his bed. He was 68 years old after another long night of probably three bottles of wine and he he died yeah. happy and whatever he was only 68 years old big yeah. man big because you know when you're in that you know you're not these people aren't getting up and getting on the treadmill every morning necessarily no, no. <laughs> and and he he yeah. is a legend in the senez valley and there were many tributes to jim clendenin and i just want to and i i got to meet him a couple times great winemaker he is he is his he's got long blonde shaggy hair he's very much like you know, hippie who moved up to, you know, wine world and uh, became very, very famous up there. And, uh, you know, so I'd say, a, you know, a goodbye and a, a Godspeed to Jim Clendenin and Aubon Clément in the San Inez Valley. Oh, that's kind. A, that's man, nice. a man who knew phase four better than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> we could have interviewed him. Damn. Okay. All right. Well, that's great, Rex. I think we'll wind that one up. Okay. Uh, th- thank you for your... Um, time today and i look forward to our next uh look forward to our next um, podcast we're getting very close to the point fingers crossed where um we could be doing these podcasts in the same time zone um rex and you may have by then caught up with us after being so behind for so long rex it will be exciting Uh, maybe i'll be a different person maybe i'll even have it i'll have an accent next time you hear me yeah, absolutely. Um, when you say fish instead of fish, then we'll know that you've become a Kiwi, Rex. Well, when I say, you know, instead of saying, uh, what do I say, NZ, and you said, what, what do I, how do I mispronounce it? Well, 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 no, um, you, you actually said it correct. Z Okay, is correct. but I've been saying NZ or something. And NZ, saying, I mean, you have to NZ. Say NZ. Okay. You've got to say NZ, that's right. So, okay. um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. I can't wait. I really can't wait to teach you the proper alphabet, the proper English language. And you hang around with, um, you know, proper English-speaking culture. Yeah, I can't this, wait. This could this could have a deleterious effect on my writing, Yui. So just be be careful. No, oh, no, you'll do it. You'll do and it. We now, we have, now we have now we have deleterious on for one of our words. No, no, no. That's not a word of the day. Uh, most people know the uh, the, oh, okay. del- right. the in, deleterious in, in, most effect. In the com- most in the Commonwealth, no, but not in yeah, our yeah, country. yeah. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and I always say you know, I'll say quickly. I know we're winding up, but. I think one reason I do read a lot of um, British, Irish, UK fiction is the, I don't know, the, the education system is better because the command of the language at a younger age, I'm actually envious of, I didn't get the same wonderful education. You're, you're not a writer, but you're an incredibly articulate guy. And every time I meet people, I'm not just saying this blow smoke up, Aaron. they're just, you know, in general, I would say that the Brits are just, they have a, a gift of gab. I, I will admit sometimes they kind of, forage for you know the deep polysyllabic when they could have just said hot instead of you know you know scorching or whatever but i i love the way they reach for language and i and that's the same thing with wine criticism and i do too people some people say that you know one of the cuts on me is or criticisms is that you know rex uses too many big words but i know as a writer words are the colors on our palette and the Brits are, and the Irish, and even the yep. Australians, and you guys are, you know, have a mastery and a command of the English language, unlike mm. anyone, in my well, opinion. Well, you know, the Brits invented it. Um, and yeah, you should, you um, if you, I don't know if you're into podcasts other than ours, but um, <laughs> there's a wonderful podcast called Something Rhymes with Purple. Okay. And it's got Giles Brandreth and um, Susie Dent in it. And, and they've been going for 200 episodes now, and they pick a theme each week and they'll discuss the etymology of the oh. words in oh, that really? area yeah so they did a great episode on the justice you know the whole justice related words the whole well, words something that rhymes with courts. purple yeah it's called something rhymes with purple okay well as soon as um, i listen to this one I'll, I'll i'll put i'll cue that one up next okay no worries and, <laughs> okay. and you looked me in the eyes you said that so i actually think i believe it. okay okay well, uh, all right and also Rex. send you send your questions in we're uh, we're happy yeah, to answer. yeah okay okay you... all right take it easy rex all right, catch you later Oh, and by the way, Rex, we've got another uh, letter from the listener. The um, the question this time. Uh, Wait a second. Did you actually get a letter? Well, no, I got an email. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, right. 
That's for exposing me. Um, down in New Zealand, maybe you don't have we, email. Don't oh, please don't start. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. Um, what All advice right. would you give to someone wanting to enter into the world of wine and the world of screenplay, novel writing? How did you enter into these worlds? This is from um, uh, a guy called Louis Koshak. Koshak. Louis Koshak. Hey, Louis. Um, actually, we might have to devote an entire podcast Ooh. to this because I've been asked this question uh, many should times. We, should we there's do a that? Short Rex? answer. There's a medium should we, answer. Should we do that? Yeah, I okay. mean, there's a short answer, medium answer. There's Give a the long short answer. One. Short I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, um, it's not, um, I don't know. I think this is just, well, we actually did uh, Why Rex Writes. Hmm. So I, I highly recommend uh, you um, listen to that podcast. As far as getting into wine, I think that's really very simple. I think you start tasting, but reading, that's, uh, I, I'm going to highly recommend uh, Jancis Robinson's The Oxford Companion to Wine. It is an um, encyclopedia of wine, basically, and, and that's where I've learned most about wine because you're not going to be able to uh, afford to drink the great wines that you know Robert Parker and others have. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, yeah, there it is. Um, Uwe has, has it on his shelf. It, it's an expensive book, but it's it's worth it. And um, so not, Jancis not too Robinson, bad. Not the too Oxford bad. It's Companion. only about eighty dollars. It's not too bad. Mm. Okay, well, that's, you know, it's it's a big book. It's a, it's a huge encyclopedia of wine, and it is the Bible. Um, you know, and then and then it's just a matter of tasting and reading and tasting and reading, and so that would be my advice there. As far as writing goes and writing screenplays, I mean, you know, the advice that. A lot of writers will give is just you know put your butt in the seat and do it i am a big believer by the way and i remember they um they asked 10 writers to give their simple advice about you know writing and you know and, and what they would say and a very famous novelist e annie Proulx, um said write one page and then rewrite it and then rewrite it and rewrite it and i don't have enough xlax to follow that advice and uh, because i i think X-lax. i think yeah it's yeah, nor, in other words, a, uh, a constipation medication. Oh. Um, you, I believe, and the other side is, I, I think that is terrible advice, although for some people that's a method of their madness. I believe in quantity over quality in order to find your voice. And the key is is to keep churning it out and churning it out. I would, I would say um, I wouldn't show things to people until... You have finished it to your satisfaction, and then you're going to have to go to the world. I would try to find somebody who isn't going to glad hand you, but isn't also going to be um, sort of oppositional to your sensibility so they don't get it. Maybe you're trying to write in the horror genre, and they just hate the horror genre or whatever, um, because I've run into that problem. You have to find that right person um, and then you just have to keep churning it out and, and you're going to have to take it to the world at some point, but take it when you're ready. I am a big believer in churning out the work, taking it to the world and not stopping. Don't sit there with one thing and, and not keep writing. All writers, all true writers, they keep writing. They never stop. And, um, that would be my, you know, there's, this could be a longer podcast, although I do believe we've, you know, why Rex writes, um, is, not to talk about myself in the third person, but um, because I only write in the first person. But there, you know, everyone's different. You know, there. I'm somebody who doesn't look at the marketplace. I write what I want to write. I write what I want to read. Other people look out there and say, "Oh my God, sci-fi, fantasy, suspense, and horror. That's what's selling." I think that's what I'm going to write. You want to play that game? I can promise you this: if you're going to play that game, then there's a hundred thousand other people playing the same game because they're trying to do the, they're trying to write the next game of thrones you know series or whatever that's going to make them millions i and that, and that brings up another thing if you're in it for the money then you might be in it for the wrong reasons if you have a backup you know uh income or something like that uh then as far as i'm concerned you've already sown the seed of failure i i, I think that it has to come first it has to come before anything you know wow, that, uh, spouse yeah. partner spouse partner animals kids and i don't mean that because i i have a, a a cat i love my cat to death has to it's not an avocation it is not a hobby it must come before everything and that's my advice you know and that's hard i know that's not easy but um, you know, churn it out and um, you know, rewrite it as 
to the best of your ability and then start showing it to people, try to show it to that right person. Find that one right person that you would show it to. That's quite interesting. Um, it feels like you're suggesting that um, if you want to write, you sort of got to write like in a commando style. You sort of have to write uh, jumping out of a plane almost without a parachute. Well, um, there's I mean, got to be no Kurt, now we're digging down in. Now we're digging down into it and getting right, into right, the right, we won't, podcast we won't, we won't. here, but. but but we won't. But uh, I, for instance, I um, I try to create. I've written many screenplays, many more screenplays than novels. But I'm pretty much focused on novels now. I try to create the world in my head. I try to know my setting. I, for instance, when I wrote Sideways, when I when my characters watch walk into the Hitching Post or the Windmill Inn, uh, trust me, I have walked into those places and know them. Yeah. You know. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Look, I, I, I had to stop you there, Rex, because I felt like you've answered Lewis's question, but there is a podcast worth of material there. So we'll put that okay. down as a topic. Okay, okay Rex? So, uh, okay. Thanks very much, right. Rex. See you next time. All right. All right. All right. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Sideways, The Life of Wine. Both Rex and I hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed it so much that you'll share this with your friends and go online and rate this podcast. If you have a question for Rex related to the movie, the books, his latest book, anything to do with wine actually, please drop us a line to wine at 158.co.nz. That's wine at 158.co.nz. They want to drink Merlot. We're drinking Merlot. No, if anyone orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot. No fucking Merlot. No fucking Merlot. No matter how low we go. No fucking Merlot. This podcast is a 158 production.